0: blog talk radio hey everybody welcome to the first episode of the new b-h-i-p-b podcast this is dante fortune i'm your host today we're going to be talking about the religion of the antichrist but before i get into that i have a few things that i want to um, touch on real quick first make sure you subscribe so you don't miss an episode you can subscribe at blackhistoryinthebible.com or you can subscribe on Blog Talk Radio, and also I'll be posting these episodes on YouTube as well. So any way you want to get the show, you can check out uh, BlackHistoryInTheBible.com, YouTube, or Blog Talk Radio also if you want to shout out somebody for an accomplishment something recognition worthy like marriage graduation started a new business anything i think it'd be a great way to start off the show in a positive way so if you have any shout outs that you want to send make sure you send me a message on black if you're a patron make sure you use the uh, patron messaging system so to get right to me and i'll make sure i get those shout outs on future shows so do that, and we'll go ahead and jump right into the religion of the Antichrist. Now, at first, this is going to be a one-part um, show, but because of the content, it started to run a little long. So this show is going to be – well, this topic is going to be spread across at least two shows, possibly a third. But we'll see how time works out. So let's start with – this the world's final religion now before we jump into the world's final religion I want to touch on the Antichrist real quick now I know that's not his official name and I know people have different interpretations of who the Antichrist is whether it's the Antichrist the pseudo Christ whether it's an individual or a nation we'll talk about that later because right now we want to focus on just the religion part and so part of that Doctrine for the religion comes from the Book of Daniel and the Book of Revelation. It's talked about a lot. You've probably seen it on TV, the Final World Religion. Everybody's talking about this this religion that's supposed to come out of, you know, out of the blue, out of nowhere. and it's supposed to deceive the entire world into believing it. And there are several scenarios, but I'm going to take the time to really set the stage to show you how something like this could possibly happen. And the results may or may not surprise you. Many of you follow me on Facebook, so you've seen that I've hinted at several things. So you might have put two and two together already. So let's start with the setup of the deception. And this is going to be before stage one. This is more of a brainstorming. And not my brainstorming, but the brainstorming of how I believe the enemy would brainstorm before putting anything into action. Now, see, the enemy doesn't plan anything in the open where it's going to be obvious, so we don't really have insight into what's going on at the time. So somebody at the time may not see the pieces in play, and it only becomes obvious once you're taking a look back throughout all of history. The reason this is possible is because the enemy has what's called a long game. We talk about this in chess when I play chess with some of my friends. We talk about the long game or the end game where a lot of people play and they look at it move by move. But the person who plays the long game is looking at long-term strategy, which pieces are they willing to sacrifice, which positions do they want to get set up in so they can finally make their move. And so this long game, it becomes a whole different story when you're dealing with supernatural and immortal entities they can play a much longer game than a human lifespan so for one human to see it in their lifetime is quite difficult unless they're further out from the beginning it's no way the people at the beginning will see that this you know is going to take place so part one of this series is going to be really really heavy on history and background I am going to throw some scriptures in there but part two of this is going to be really really heavy on scripture So the long game, I call this stage one, the long game. So the long game, it takes time, it takes effort, it takes resources, and it takes patience. And if you're going to start an entirely new belief system, you're going to need all of the above. And again, this is based on the belief that there will be a one world religion. So if you're going to start this new belief system, you can either do all that from scratch like I said time effort resources patience or you can go an alternative route and usurp an existing one and we see this in history where uh, kings would uh, send their armies to conquer other nations and when they would do that oftentimes they didn't build an entirely new castle they would just usurp the old castle and move into it so we see the same thing occurring With the one world religion or at least i believe that is what has occurred with the one world religion so you exist the or you usurp the existing religion two of the things you do is you replace the doctrine and then you enforce the new doctrine so i'll give you an example the bible says for the love of money is the root of all evil however the popularized or commonly misconceived teaching is that the love of money is the root of all evil. See, it changes – I'm sorry, the money is the root of all evil. So it changes the love of money being the root of all evil, love being an emotion, to money, an object, being the root of all evil. And that's just one example of kind of twisting the scriptures in a, in a small way. And then another one is God helps those that help themselves. I don't know how many times I've heard somebody say this, but that is the exact opposite of what the Bible teaches. God helps those that can't help themselves. He helped us because we couldn't help ourselves. Christ came to save us because we could not save ourselves through the requirements of the law. So God doesn't help those that help themselves. That's, that's another example of replacing doctrine. Uh, with something else. Now, I don't believe those two things are part of the plot to start a whole new religion, but those are just examples of how it can be done. And I'm going to give more examples of how I believe it changed as we go through this, which is going to bring us to stage two. Now, stage two is the planning, uh, well, we'll call it planning and preparation. So he's already brainstormed, come up with the long game. The planning part and the preparation part requires him to gather supplies and enemies everything that he's been brainstormed that he will need to carry out this long game has to be gathered up and the thing about this phase it's it's important because in a planning stage of any coup or if you're going to attempt to usurp something all kind of things can can throw your plan off if the wrong person finds out if they say the wrong thing or If people figure out what's going on it becomes easy to avoid so this tactic has to be carried out carefully and you have to find people who you can either manipulate into doing things for you unknowingly people or people who will do them for you willingly those are the only two ways to get these things accomplished without that help is no way the enemy could you know put this all in place alone he has to have help and so after you have started putting after the enemy has started putting his uh position stuff in position his supplies his allies figuring out who's going to do what who's going to help him, the next thing to do is to identify any threat to the coup and make plans to neutralize that threat so in this situation if you're going to usurp a religion if you're going to start a new religion is it's not really many barriers to starting into religion you can just do it they start out as small groups and then they turn into cults and from cults they turn into accepted religions and you know and it grows but if you want to usurp a religion and take it over there's a problem because you have a lot of people to contend with you have the believers in that religion who will contend with you and then you have the founders you have the teachers I mean there's a lot of people so in this example usurping a religion you would have the royal heirs and the religious leaders. And the religion I am talking about in particular is Judaism. So, if the enemy wanted to usurp Judaism, he would want to get rid of all the royal heirs, all the claims to the throne, because their holy book, which the re- religious leaders are familiar with, points to who these people are and who is the heir to the throne. It lays out everything. So you need to get rid of all those people that would cause any kind of opposition. And the first step is identifying them. Now, we have an example of something similar to this in the Bible um, Ahithophel. When he wanted to get revenge for the death of Uriah, his son in law, he started a plan. He was inside the. Um, royal he was inside the, the royal palace and he started to form his coup and whisper and stir up strife and he got people on his side and it eventually broke out broke out into an all-out war between David and his son so not to get I don't want to get off track on that and go too far into it but you identify the people and you start to put your plan in place so in which is the next part you put your people and resources into position now you're not necessarily making a move You just want to put them in position so that when things go down you can you can make your move there so not to get too far ahead of myself but one of the things that would make sense to do if you're the enemy and you want to reposition yourself is to put a king in place so I'm going to come back to this but Herod who was an Edomite king and the Edomites were the enemies of Israel even though the Edomites were also related to Israel, you would do something like put an Edomite king in place. And then you can catch your targets off guard when you're prepared to make your move. So let me backtrack just a little bit because I did jump ahead with Herod. We are gonna come right back to Herod, though. In the book of Maccabees, it talks about something that was happening and it's going to continue to happen throughout history. But in the book of Maccabees, it lays out... A plot by the Gentiles, who I believe are Europeans. There's a study on the Black History in the Bible website if you want to get caught up on who the Europeans are in Scripture. Uh, look for the article Unmasking the Gentiles. But in the book of Maccabees, which is not considered part of the official canon, it is part of the, a book of groups that were removed, known as the Apocrypha or the Hidden Books they talk about a lot of history and these hidden books were sacred to the hebrews They they provide important historical insights to what's going on at the time it often fills in gaps of missing information in scripture um, this particular book references events that many believe are the origin of hanukkah and this was written about 134 years before christ or 134 bc now antiochus the had invaded under the rule of alexander The great and because i believe the enemy was trying at that time to start off um the usurping at small levels step by step what maccabees says here in first maccabees 3 47 through 48 it says then they fasted that day and put on sackcloth and cast ashes upon their heads and rent their clothes and laid open the book of the law wherein the heathen had sought to paint the likeness of their image images so even in 134 BC we see an attempt by Europeans because we know these were Europeans and they're referred to as the heathen or Gentiles which I lay out in that study I mentioned Antiochus the fourth is a Greek and we know the Greeks were Europeans so Antiochus the Fourth has invaded, and Maccabees mentions that they want to repaint themselves into the scriptures, which is an odd thing to do because that's not something that occurs throughout history, which makes me think it's it's part of a deeper plot. People usually don't take over nations, for example, when the United States goes in and they take over Muslim countries, they don't suddenly convert to Islam or or start painting Europeans as Islamic leaders. That's just something they don't do. And same thing with other other countries that invade. They don't start painting themselves as the other people. So after, after this period where it's mentioned that the Europeans want to paint themselves into scriptures, 134 years before, uh, before Christ, we see that the Hebrews go under Greek rule and then eventually come under Roman rule. And Herod is put in place, the um, Edomite king. And we go into what I like to call a silent period, even though it's not technically a silent period, but it's going to be somewhat silent on the world stage because of the appearance of the Messiah. Now, the appearance of the Messiah becomes top priority. The enemy knows that the Messiah is coming. He knows that the Messiah is going to be born of a virgin because of the book of Isaiah and the book of Genesis, where it says um, the woman's seed would crush his his head. So he's waiting on the birth of Messiah born to a virgin so when it happens he doesn't know exactly what Messiah is which is why Herod needed them to give him the information so Messiah becomes top priority the Edomite King who I believe is put in position by Satan not that he made a deal with Satan himself or that Satan went and intentionally you know purposely put him well I'll say purposely put him there but he didn't you know go physical face to face and make a deal with the devil I believe that this is, a lot of this has been orchestrated from behind the scenes, as I mentioned. You either have to get people to willingly do it, or you have to find a way to manipulate people into doing it. And I believe that the enemy is a master manipulator. So this Edomite king, who is enemies with Israel, knows the Messiah has shown up. He doesn't know where or exactly when. So he puts out a decree to kill every child under two years of age that's like a crazy decree to to mass murder children so he wants to get rid of the messiah I'm not sure well i know that the messiah posed a threat to the the Edomite rome but even then it still doesn't make sense in a certain context because rome had ultimate rule over herod so herod wasn't even the head guy he was just you know next in charge and according to the scriptures christ was going to take over everything so Saying that Herod wanted to kill Christ because it was a threat to his rule is, to me, wishful thinking since they believe Christ is going to take over the planet, not just, you know, become a ruler underneath a Roman ruler. So Joseph is forced to take Mary and Christ, and they hide in Egypt, which is located in Africa for those that are not aware i've actually had conversations with people who believe egypt is located in the middle east which is a term that was not used until the 1800s uh, but egypt is indeed 100 percent located in africa and we'll see that over and over again in the bible they flee to and from africa into egypt and the reason they always flee to egypt is because israel and egypt share a border together this is something else that many people i've talked to don't realize they share a border Israel literally touches Africa because Israel used to be considered part of Africa Northeast Africa you can get into the history of that if you want to do some digging so after they escape they actually end up living in Egypt for at least four years I did the math on this based on uh, the death of Herod because they didn't come back until after Herod died and history shows that Herod didn't die until at least four years after they fled into Egypt, and they could have possibly stayed longer. We don't know how, you know how long it was after the death of Herod that they were told to come back. So at least four years living in Africa, blending in with the people. So it gives you some idea of what they look like. So as Christ got older, the focus is still on him you have the situation with the temptation where he tries to the enemy tries to thwart Christ's plan to save humanity by getting Christ about him and worship him and you know the other temptations and again these were actual temptations because if they weren't temptations or if they weren't tempting they wouldn't be called temptations so these temptations were meant to deter the the goal and mission of the Messiah so then, as this is going on once he once he denied the temptations and he held strong, the religious leaders wanted to kill him because of what he was teaching and when they finally succeeded and managed to crucify him, you have the resurrection and then from the resurrection, the enemy escalates his plan after Christ leaves um, Christ was on earth for forty days after um, after the resurrection before the ascension and we're going to enter what's called the apostolic age, which is covered a lot in the book of Acts, where the messiah, where the um, apostles of the messiah were persecuted and killed and tortured and beat and all kind of different stuff like that. Which leads us into stage three, the action stage. You cause chaos and confusion. Now, for those of you who think I'm off track, I'm actually building up to the establishment of this this false religion because. You need to really see the background of it. So he causes chaos and confusion again by persecuting and executing the Christ followers. You can stamp out that belief in most cases if you kill enough people. However, it did not work. And so, if you believe that the Messiah died around 30 A.D., 32, 33, whatever it is, just say that time frame in there. By 70 A.D., Emperor Titus invaded Jerusalem and Titus when he invaded Jerusalem it was interesting because according to a lot of the history he didn't actually want to destroy the temple he destroyed the temple the second temple by accident during the invasion not him himself but um, his people did by complete accident and Titus believed that he was actually Appointed by the Lord to bring judgment on Israel. He was being used by the Lord, which is which is another interesting thing because We'll see that this fits some prophecy what happened during this invasion When the second temple was destroyed according to Josephus 1.1 million Hebrews were killed during the invasion 97,000 were taken as slaves The anyone else fled into Africa which I'm going to come back to that part right there because there's a lot of details on that in history. So you have the 1.1 million killed. You have the 97,000 taken as slaves. Now, those 97,000 that were taken, in slaves, taken as slaves, anyone under the age of 17 was sold as a slave. Anyone over 17 was forced to fight as a gladiator in the Roman arenas. And it wasn't just the Colosseum. They had smaller, like, uh, tour-type arenas where they would go and fight to and build up and get to the Colosseum. So they were forced to fight in there. Now, in this during this invasion, the uh, Romans took the menorah and the showbread table. They stole them from the temple where only the priests were allowed to go, and they paraded these through the streets. And the Arch of Titus uh, talks about this event. Uh, if you want to Google the Arch of Titus, you can see some background on that according to some of the history Titus was not happy about how everything went down which I've always thought the opposite I thought that his entire point was to go in there and do that but as I'm starting to do more research I'm starting to see that Titus Titus may have known that he was fulfilling prophecy based on his reaction to a lot of things I'm not saying he was a good guy he may have been enlightened to several things he, again, he said he thought that this was the Lord's will, which we see it in prophecy, that it does happen. And then he was not happy about how everything went down. So the next phase of the plan of the enemy, after he's caused chaos and confusion and taken slaves or gotten people to take slaves and scattered the rest, now it's time to get rid of anybody who can protest your rule, which he did by having the slaves fight as gladiators in arenas and kill each other off. Um The ones that were enslaved were no longer connected to their people, so they weren't a threat. The ones that were scattered, though, the ones that were scattered were still a potential threat. Now, when they scattered, history tells us that they scattered toward the Mediterranean. Now, if you look at a map, Israel sits on the Mediterranean. Now, these people were under sudden invasion. They didn't have time to build boats or load boats or get on boats and take off across the sea. The Mediterranean Sea so what they did was they fled into Egypt Libya Algeria Morocco Tunisia into these places in which are all located in Africa now this is important because if you look at a map of the Mediterranean Sea those that tell you that the Hebrews fled across the sea into Europe it doesn't make sense because the Romans attacked from the Northeast which is coming from the direction of Europe if they had got in boats, they would have either landed in Turkey, which was under Roman rule, becomes Istanbul later, Constantinople. They would have either had to flee to Greece or Crete, which is also under Roman rule at the time. The other place they could have fled to was Italy, which was under Roman rule. And the other place they could have fled to was Spain. So the other only choices were to flee deeper into Arabia or into Africa. That is the only way they would escape the Roman persecution. It doesn't make sense that they would flee further into Roman persecution. And we can verify that they fled into Africa with Isaiah eleven eleven, and we can verify that they fled further into Arabia with Isaiah eleven eleven, which says, And it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall set his hand again the second time to recover the remnant of his people, which shall be left from Assyria and from Egypt, and from Pathos, and from Cush, and from Elam, from Shinar, Hamath, and the islands of the sea. So we know that they fled into Africa and Arabia because every place mentioned is located in Africa and Arabia none of them mentioned are in Europe so moving on we can safely assume that they did not cross the Mediterranean Sea in the Europe and over time as they're in Africa they start to migrate further into Africa where they reestablished the kingdom of Judah on the western coast which we know from European maps, Emmanuel Bowen, who was a famous, um, a famous uh, English cartographer, he made a map that shows the kingdom of Judah on the western coast of Africa. The Portuguese have maps of Judah on the western coast of Africa, the Spanish as well. There are also paintings of the crowning of the king of Judah. If you check out the evidence section on blackhistoryandthebible.com, you'll see some of that. The next thing is you have your people assume the roles of the previous ruling group. You need priests, you need new Hebrews, because everybody knows the Hebrews has the the Hebrews have claim to the land of Israel. So what you do is you get your own group. And for so those that believe in the late date of the book of Revelation, it was written around 90 A.D. So I've taken you on this journey here from 134 B.C. Then I brought you up to seven, the, the time of Christ and then to 70 A.D. And now we're entering, if you believe um, the late date. Of the book of Revelation, ninety-five ninety-six AD, around in there. In the book of Revelation, chapter two, verse nine, and chapter three, verse nine, there are references to groups of people pretending to be Hebrews. The first one, Revelation 2:9. I know thy works and thy tribulation and thy poverty, but thou art rich, and I know the blasphemy blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are the sin of of Satan and then 3 9 says behold i will make them of the synagogue of satan which say they are jews and are not but do lie behold i will make them to come and worship at thy feet and before thy feet and know that i have loved thee we see as early as the first century late first century that there are already people in place ready to assume and attempting to assume the identity of the hebrews because the majority of the hebrews have been scattered into africa the majority of the hebrews have been killed or enslaved or scattered. So this this is why we see that there's an increase over time in claims of people to become Hebrew because the original people are no longer there to defend the cause. And what's interesting about these letters in Revelation is that they were sent to the churches in uh, Asia or Turkey as we now refer to it. But if you check a map out a older map, near Turkey was the kingdom of Khazaria which is where a lot of the modern-day Jews the Ashkenazi trace their lineage through they go through kazaria so it's more than a more than a coincidence that a letter would get sent to that area in the same area we know that that the Ashkenazi come from and in the Bible Ashkenaz Genesis 10 is mentioned as a descendant of Japheth. all right so we actually coming down that was actually fast so we're gonna pause right here next Wednesday same time 7 a.m. Pacific 10 a.m. Eastern I'm gonna start with stage four which is the cover-up and we're gonna get in stage four cover-up stage five the growth and stage six suppression and finally we're gonna wrap it up at stage seven which is prevention and we're gonna talk about some of the ways the enemy is going to come in and usurp the entire religion of Judaism and replace it with his own version of chosen people, which will in turn usurp Christianity. But we'll get into that next show. Now if you'd like to be a guest on a future show, check out the B H I T B podcast page. Make sure you fill out the form. If you're good I'll be in touch with you. Again, make sure you subscribe if you want to be notified of future shows, studies that I'm going to post. Uh, you can send in your questions by leaving comments on the site or sending me an email directly if you're a patron go ahead and make sure you send me a patron email from inside patreon if you're not a patron check it out it's only a dollar there's more than a dollar's worth of giveaways that I've already posted in there so if you want a lot of great content for a buck go ahead and check that out we have a bunch of goals that might align with yours Friday, I'm posting a study on the law versus grace, so make sure you tune in for that. And Saturday, Tao Ministries will be joining me for a special show. We're going to be talking about the 12 tribes chart. Make sure you don't miss it Saturday, 7 a.m. Pacific, 10 Eastern. Thank you for tuning in. Super big thank you to everyone that's going to share this. And until next time, I'm out.